Well, turn with me this morning in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we'll begin this morning. I'm concluding a series we've been doing the last uh, probably six weeks called Voices. And it's been a series about the voices that influence us in our life because how many know if you listen to the right voice, you'll make the right choice? Let me say it again. If you listen to the right voice, you'll make the right choice. Well, we've talked about the fact that there's a a voice of the Scripture. God's Word speaks to us. Uh, We've talked about people and their voice, their influence on our life. We've also talked about the fact that Satan has a voice. How many know Satan was able to influence Judas Iscariot to betray Christ? In the last couple of weeks, we've learned that the Holy Spirit has a voice, that He communicates to us. Well, this morning, we're going to talk a message about our voice. My voice is what it's entitled, and it's going to be something especially for dads, but it'll help everyone about the words that people hear come out of my mouth, about the influence that I have, that my words are not meaningless, my words are not wasted, but my words have significance and and influence. Ephesians 4.29 says this, when you talk, don't say harmful things. Everybody say harmful things. How many know the Bible says that our words have the power of life and death? Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So he says, be careful because you don't want to say harmful things, but notice what he says, say what people need. Whether it's a dad to his children, whether it's a husband to the wife, whether it's, whether it's a, a coach on the ball team, uh, say what people need, and that's defined, give them words that will help others become stronger. And if you want one phrase in this whole message, I underline things in my Bible, I write, I put notes, a bracket. That's what I would say. Let me have words that help others become stronger. You see, my voice can do good. Notice it says, then you will be doing good to those who listen to you. And that's my aspiration, that my voice would be a voice that does good to people, that my voice would be a voice that helps people become stronger. So this morning, I've entitled this My Voice, and I want to give you four different examples today of of how our words can do good. Let's begin with the first one. I, I want my voice to be filled with hope and not despair. Let me say it again. I want my voice to be a voice of hope. I mean, no, we live in a very troubled world. We live in a dark world. We live in a world to where bad things are happening all around us today. I mean, and it's easy to be negative. I mean, it's easy to just throw up your hands and just say, what's the use? I mean, you look at what's happening in Iraq right now, the soldiers that lost their lives, thousands of people, and now the whole thing is becoming unraveled. And you wonder, what's, what's, what's going on in our world today? What, what's going on when Christians are being martyred around the world? Uh, what's, going, what's going on when we've got thousands of children coming in our borders, and it seems to be orchestrated in an orchestrated fashion to overwhelm our social system. What's, what's, what's going on in our world? How in the world can prisoners at Guantanamo Bay get medical, better medical care than our own veterans in America? And when it gets out of the news cycle, it's almost like we forget it. Well, if you're not careful, your words can be filled with despair and not hope. How many know the basis of our hope is not because we have a big rabbit's foot to rub. How many know the basis of our hope is the fact that the nature and character of God is God is a good God. God is a God that can bring change. God's Word is filled with hope, and it gives us perspective. Now, I want to start this, this, uh, this point with a, a short video clip of a movie. It's called Apollo 13. It's an older movie, but it was a true story. The uh, man, fl- uh, man space flight, uh, the Apollo, the 13th mission, and they were literally going to the land on the moon, but 
prior to getting there, you know, they had a problem in their oxygen tanks. Their ship almost exploded. And it was a very dramatic movie, as you saw, how NASA literally helped bring them and guide them back to Earth. But the chances were real high that these men on that spacecraft were going to die. And this little video clip is from Mission Control, but I want you to listen to the words of hope in a situation of despair. Take a peek, and then we'll, we'll explore this deeper. We got the parachute situation, the heat shield, the angle of trajectory, and the typhoon. There's just so many variables. I'm a little I know what lost. the problems are, Henry. This could be the worst disaster NASA's ever experienced. With all due respect, sir, I believe this is going to be our finest hour. It could be the worst disaster in NASA's history. Facts, yes. Someone else says, I believe this will be our finest hour. Well, my friends, our voice of hope is just like that. Our voice of hope is based on the character of God, on the promises of God. You see, the voice of despair is everywhere. This voice tells us constantly, you can't do it. Uh, you're not going to make it. You're going to be poor the rest of your life. It's hopeless. Can I tell you, friends, in a world of despair, people need help believing. Let me say it again. In a world of despair, people need help believing. Uh, your child that just struck out all three times. Now, they get in the car with you, and they say, don't say a word, Mom. But there's a time when that child needs hope. If your husband comes home and said, I, I, I've lost my job, they say, I'm, I'm too old, or whatever the case is, I've, I've lost my job. How many know there needs to be some hope that's, that's based in a God that can help us believe that there will be a brighter tomorrow? And as a Christian, I hold this hope. I hold it in my heart because of my relationship with God. I hold it in my hand because of the promises of God, and I want it to be on my lips that I have a voice of hope. I call this uh, a voice of hope, faith-based conversation, FBC. Everybody say it with me. Faith-based conversation. Come on, say it again. Faith-based conversation. And it goes something like this. Your child wants to quit. And every dad, every mom understands, every person that's ever walked through junior high and high school, kids face things and they don't want to do it anymore. It's too hard. Nobody likes me. Uh, I just don't feel like I can do it. I can't make it. I just can't go forwards, physically, emotionally, otherwise. The voice of hope, the voice of faith-based conversation quotes from Philippians 4, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is a strength that is greater than mine. There is an ability to find strength to keep going. Come on. When despair and anxiety and depression surround me, somehow hope emerges in my soul. I can do all things through Christ. And it makes me believe when my believer has been turned off. See, again, maybe your friend is discouraged. They've been looking for a job for six months, nine months. There's nothing in their expertise or what they need, and they just, they just wonder where, what's gone wrong and, and what, what am I going to do? And, and is it, does God even care? A voice of hope would say, Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, come on. Listen, because God is for me. Because the creator of the world is on my side. Listen, Christian, Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll always be with you even to the end of the age. You see, we walk by faith and, and not by sight. But it helps me when my ears hear what my eyes can't see. Because he is with me, whether I see him or not. And I just need to be reminded of that sometimes. And I want my voice to be a voice of hope. Listen, if you're at the cemetery, how I many know that's a dark place to be? 
at a cemetery, listen, every time we've taken the guest of honor that I've been, we left him or her there, and, and we all left, and the family's there, and, and we're sad and all, but the voice of hope can emerge even in the cemetery. Come on. When a Christian dies, when you leave your child, your parent, your, 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 your spouse at that graveside, I, the voice of hope would say, First Thessalonians 4, that the Lord himself will come down from heaven. This voice of, heaven, uh, this voice of hope may start like this. Now listen, this is not the ending. This is not a goodbye today. Come on. This is an I'll see you later. Let me tell you why. Because one day Jesus is coming back to this planet. He's coming from heaven with a loud command. And notice what it says. Those who have died believing in Christ are going to rise first. You, listen, you can even put your hand on that casket that seems like the terminal amen, the terminal period, and you can say, one day this casket's not going to hold your daddy. Come on. One day this casket is not going to hold your child any longer, but their bodies are going to come back to life again. Just like Jesus was in the grave three days, he was a foretaste of what's coming for us. Now listen, are we still sad? Absolutely. Are we going to grieve for months? Absolutely. Are we going to dread the first Christmas? Absolutely. Because when you love deeply, you grieve deeply. But I'll tell you, friends, we don't grieve without hope as the rest of men do. Come on, we face this thing called sin and death head on. And we know that, listen, we have a God that's on our side. So I can face tomorrow because he lives. This is the voice of hope. And my friends, when you have it, people will be drawn to you like a magnet. And it's not just a rabbit's foot. Come on. It is a belief and a confidence in the character of God, the nature of God, and the promises of his holy word. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. The second attribute of my voice or characteristic, and there are, could literally be hundreds, but I've only been able to pick four. I want my voice to stand for truth and justice and not be silent. In our culture today that has lost its bearings, as I described the world of my childhood when the kids were up here, the, the principal shared scripture over the microphone in the morning. He prayed for a, It's a different world today. Even in our homeland security has training that some of the homegrown terrorists could be evangelical Christians. It's a true story. They're taught in some quarters that veterans returning from foreign wars, they could be the problem people in our future. And somehow our world has kind of gotten lost. I want to be a voice of truth and justice in a confused world. Let me read you a scripture. Biblical social justice is Psalm 82 verse 3. Not only it tells us what to do, but who to do it for. Give justice to the fatherless. This is the child that's, that's alone Maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute. These are those that are suffering, particularly unjust suffering, for those that are poor through no fault of their own. Verse 4, rescue the weak and needy. Why don't you think about it? It's a picture of society today that is a, that is a definite picture. In, in our culture today, we might broaden it to include many other groups. Our society, it's almost as if groups are pitted against each other and, and we're made victims in, in some status like that. But the Bible's clear not only for who in this case we care for, the fatherless, the afflicted, the destitute, the weak, and the needy, but what we're to do. We're to maintain their rights, to give them justice, to rescue them, to deliver them. This is biblical social justice. It is what Martin Luther King did when he lifted up his voice and ultimately gave his life for what we, it's almost, it's vanishing from our culture today. The same level of racial inequality that we had several decades ago. It's because of his voice. It's because of the voice of a Rosa Parks. It's because of the voice of a, of a, of a, of a Mother Teresa for the destitute on the streets of Calcutta, someone that cared for the poor. 
Have you ever heard of a woman named Penelope Barker? Who's heard of a woman named Penelope Barker? Well, I hadn't until a few days ago. We went to a seminar on the Constitution. But Penelope Barker was a voice against unjust taxation before the Revolutionary War. If you can imagine, before the Declaration of Independence was penned, our forefathers here in America were being treated unjustly or unfairly by their government. Their government was trying to force them to pay taxes for wars that had happened around the world, but they were forcing them to pay taxes without proper representation, something that had came to our nation through hundreds of years of, of the foundation of our law, that before the populace would be required to pay taxes, they would have proper representation. And listen, they were being forced by the government to buy products produced by England and pay taxes on the tea. And that's why the Boston Tea Party. Well, here's what this woman said. She said, maybe it's only been men who've protested the king up till now. We women have taken too long to let our voices be heard. Come on, I should have an amen from some of the ladies. We have taken too long to let our voices be heard. But the question is, what are you going to let your voice be heard about? Are you going to be an echo of the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s that were turning a biblical woman upside down so it's almost an embarrassment, come on, to have the attributes of godliness that a biblical woman has? There's a pressure in our culture. It's not just enough to let your voice be heard and be an activist, but you want to be active for the right thing. I mean, you can be an active and applaud the wrong thing, and be working against truth and justice. We've taken too long to let our voices be heard. We're signing our names to a document. That is, we're giving it to the king. We're not hiding behind costumes like the men in the Boston Tea Party did. Now, that's a gutsy woman that was involved, and she had 50 of her friends. But guess what? Every one of them, when they signed that, knew that their husbands could lose their jobs. They could lose their lives. I mean, no, there's a cost to pay when you stand up for truth. You don't believe me? Ask John the Baptist. John the Baptist simply told King Herod that what you're doing is wrong and it's sinful and it cost his life. But guess what? You've only got one life to live. Did Mel Brooks say, all men die but not all men live? Well, listen, part of living is standing up for those that cannot stand for themselves in the name of Christ. That's why there's a lawsuits, dozens of lawsuits in the federal court system now uh, by people like Hobby Lobby because they are standing for the right not to be forced to pay for abortion, and I speak not as a third-party guy, but as someone who understands firsthand the pain that comes from this. That's why they're standing up and say, we're not going to allow you to force us to pay for the taking of the life of an innocent human child in our health care plan. I'm going to show you a little video clip. It's from Dr. Dobson. He has had, I think, the greatest influence on helping the family in my lifetime in America He's growing old now, but he was invited to the National Day of Prayer. It was held into the White House, and uh, he said these words. I want you to take a peek here at uh, Dr. Dobson. And uh, early on in his first term, uh, he uh, announced through uh, Health and Human Services that every American who gets insurance, which should be almost all of us, uh, would have to pay a surcharge. Uh, it started out a dollar a month, so that's $12 a year. I don't care how much it is, but $12 a year that would go skyrocketing. You know everything, every tax does. And it's, it's breathtaking uh, what this means for unborn children. Well, uh, that was very 
um, offensive to my conscience to tell me that I had to participate in this and uh, to uh, pay uh, even a small amount of money in the beginning for the support of abortion. So I wrote this in a letter that went to uh, 250,000 people. I doubt if it got anywhere near the White House, but this is what I wrote. I believe in the rule of law, and it's been my practice since I was in college to respect and honor those in authority over us. It's my desire to do so now. However, this assault on the sanctity of human life takes me where I cannot go. I will not pay the surcharge for abortion services. The amount of the surcharge is irrelevant. To pay one cent for the killing of babies is egregious to me, and I will do all I can to confront the government that lies to me about its intention and then tries to coerce my acquiescence with extortion. It would be a violation of my most deeply held convictions to obey what I consider to be the principles of Scripture. The Creator will not hold us guiltless if we turn a deaf ear to the cries of innocent babies. So come and get me, Mr. President, if you must. I will not yield to your wicked regulations. Now, you clapped, or a lot of you did. If you were to go on the internet and research his speech, you would find a great deal of response to that, applauding the person who got up and walked out and who was, was recorded in the secular press as, you see, we knew that this was not a prayer day. It was a political day to advance a political agenda. Now, listen to the way that we have allowed the world to shape our thinking. This is not a political issue. This is the issue of human beings created in the image of God. It's not a Democrat or Republican or conservative or liberal issue talking point. It is the fact that children, come on, their lives have being, are being taken uh, a million a year since an unjust law was passed in 1973 by the Supreme Court in Roe versus Wade. That's the first body of information you would refine that's not clapping. The second thing you'll see is you'll see things that said, he's a racist. He's, a ra he's just an old white man who's a racist and he doesn't like our president. Let me tell you something that I really, really, one of the most gratifying things to me about pastoring this church is when we walk through the doors of the church that we're all equal, that I didn't come in the door this morning as a white man. I didn't come in based on my gender or my race. I came in as a Christian in search of truth, in search of God, to worship with my brothers and sisters equal in the eyes of a holy God. See, the world can't understand that. All, the, for the world to get people together, they have to pass laws, come on, that make us, they, they can make us do that, but they can never make us do that. But when Jesus comes and takes our heart, we understand things, come on, from a different perspective. We don't understand it from the policy manual of a government. We understand it from the manual of the living God, that I'm to love my neighbor as myself. And the world would know we're his disciples by the love we have one for another. So when I see Dr. Dobson, I don't look through the lens that the world tries to impose on me and manipulate me like a puppet. Here's what I, and here's what I, where he's coming from. Proverbs 31.8, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. It's in your Bible, friend. We're talking about true social justice. 
speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. What is the faintest voice that voice in America? But it's the voice of the unborn child. And somehow, for the secular, whatever you want to call that, that, that embraces this, it's as imp- abortion is as important as communion is to the believer. It is almost a sacrament of the humanist secular world. Listen, Proverbs 24:11 tells me to rescue those who are unjustly sentenced to die. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a voice of truth and justice in our world today, and I don't want to be silent. I'm not going to be silent. Whether it's abortion, whether it's same-sex marriage, whether it's for Christians that are being martyred around the world, you don't hear about this. Of the people that are fleeing Iraq right now, thousands of Christians are there. When our friend was here uh, that went to, into Turkey not too long ago, he showed us two villages that had been destroyed, all the people killed, simply because they were Christians and buried in a mass grave. You don't hear 400 to 500 a day are being martyred. But there is a woman in the news now. Her name is Miriam Ibrahim. She's a Sudanese Christian woman that's condemned to death simply because she left Islam. Listen, our world doesn't know how to deal with these things, but you and I, friends, need to be a voice of righteousness in a world that's lost its course. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to stand for what's right and for what's true because that's what I'm called to do. Yeah. Let me give you another one. I want my voice to be filled with the wisdom of God's Word instead of human philosophy. Let me say it again. I want my worldview, I want my understanding of life, I want my, my, my voice to be filtered with God's Word rather than the philosophy of the world. Here's a really cool scripture, Colossians 2.8. Don't let anyone capture you with the gun. Is that what it says? No. Don't let anyone capture you, which means to control you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. What does that mean? I'm going to show you in a second. But basically, the Bible is saying our thought process can be captivated, manipulated, and controlled by error. And where does it come from? It comes from human thinking. So if we live in a world that has taken scissors and cut God out of the world because we have microscopes, come on, and telescopes, we've cut God out, you're going to get much of the basis of what we learn today from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. So somehow there's a demonic influence that's affecting people, and these people are placing an agenda on the world. Whether it's a guy named Darwin in the Scopes Monkey Trial, whether, whether uh, it's a Marxist philosophy, whether it's the Margaret Sanger that brings abortion, not just to, as I said several weeks ago, you research this, not just to take care of the black community and remove them. That's why she started it. Where did this come from? There's a demonic influence of death, the same spirit of death that was on Herod when he killed the babies in Jesus' day, the same spirit that was on the the, the Egyptians when they wanted the midwives to kill all the Israelite people. That same spirit of death is loosed in our world through a woman, and now our government funds abortion around the world. The Bible says this comes from human thinking that's motivated somehow spiritually apart from Christ. Let me give you some examples of empty philosophies in this high-sounding nonsense. Babies are simply disposable fetal matter. They're not created in the image of God. If you live in California, I guess, I think it was the state assembly, a committee recently voted that it's okay to allow abortions for sex selection, which means you want a girl instead of a boy. It's okay, just take the boy's life. It's just a product of conception. Here's the biggest one that's affected everyone in this room. It's been, it's been at work for 50, 60 years. There is no God. There is no God. 
Therefore, matter in life, everything we see and touch, life itself, it came from the organic elements of a dying star. It takes more faith to believe that, come on, than the hand of a creative God. Everything you see came here by the process of evolution and natural selection. Do you think of the little picture that you've seen in different places? This little picture of, of a single-cell amoeba, and, and, and then it, there's, a, there's a reptile crawling out of the sea, and there's a monkey, and then there's a man. That is, my friends, high-sounding nonsense. And if that thinking shapes your worldview, it'll affect everything that you do. It's nonsense. The world has imposed a philosophy upon us about who has the right to marry. The world says it's okay to lie to get what you want. America can print and, and borrow our way to prosperity. Can I tell you, these are all lies that circulate freely through our society. People are confused about right and wrong, and we're either biblically ignorant or willfully disobedient. Let me say it again. We're either biblically ignorant or willfully disobedient of God's Word. And uh, we're just like the era of judges in the Bible. And if there's a picture that describes America today, Judges 21, 5, 25 says it. All the people, say it with me, did. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Can I tell you, friend, when God has been taken out of the picture and everything, be it from consensual sex, as long as nobody's hurt, as long as there is an agreement to it, you get to make the rules as you go. And that's what we live in as America today because we've lost God's Word. You see, the Bible has answers for society's problems. The Bible is the source of right and wrong. The Bible is the source of absolute truth. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is inspired by God or breathed by God, that God was somehow the heavenly dictator to men. And they wrote it down, and it's useful to teach us what is true and help us realize what is wrong. And this is the great, great uh, chasm in America today. We don't know the difference between right and wrong any longer. It's as if when you were, you were a child and you closed your eyes and, and they played spin around and you're spinning around and around and you don't know which, which is up and which is down and which way to go, my friends, because we've lost the Bible. I want my voice, whether I'm in a classroom, whether I'm on a Facebook chat, whether I'm on a Twitter thread, or, 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 or whether I'm around the table, I want my voice to be a voice of clarity, come on, for biblical wisdom in a world that has lost the way, the, its way in between right and wrong. And I want my voice to be able to clearly declare God's will instead of human philosophy. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, you can go somewhere else if you want to talk about Reader's Digest. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's the last thing. I want my voice to glorify God and not be an embarrassment to Jesus by what I say. I want my words to glorify God and not be an embarrassment to Jesus. I want to I talk like a godly person rather than a worldly one. Here's the problem. Everybody wants people to like them. Come on, unless you have some psychotic disorder. Everybody wants people to like them, okay? And especially young people, junior high, high school age, it's especially pronounced. But well, let me tell you, when you're 57, I still want people to like me. And here's part of the problem. If your world is, a, is surrounded by ungodly people, people that don't believe the Lord, they're going to talk that way. And to get along, you either have to talk that way or you have to laugh at their jokes and, and, and go along too. It's a bit awkward. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 4, it's pretty cool how Paul said this in the Message Bible. He said, some tongues just love the taste of gossip. 
But those who follow Jesus have better uses for languages than that. And the first thing he says is don't talk dirty. Don't talk dirty or silly. And that's not talking about jokes and having fun, but it's contextualized around this dirty talk. He said it again in Colossians 3 verse 8. See, we've even lost in America the definition of what it means to talk dirty. The FCC, listen, I'm kind of amazed. I just swapped cable TV providers. I like watch television. I like movies. Stuff that I've watched over the years that has been cleaned up before they showed it to me. Well, right now it's not cleaned up. And in the first minute or two, I'm thinking, I've seen that before. And they weren't saying this and doing that. What happened? And then they argue with the FCC that it doesn't matter what I say because I have freedom of speech. Well, listen, friends, maybe it's time we got offended over things just like the world got offended. But it's what I say that affects my Christian testimony. Colossians 3.8, you know better now. Now here's, what does this mean? He's saying, you're a Christian now. You've repented from your old way of life. You know the difference between right and wrong. He said, you're different now. And notice what this difference will affect. He said, uh, he said uh, uh, make sure it's all gone for good. Get rid of your bad temper, irritability, meanness. But then what does he say? Get rid of profanity and dirty talk. Well, well, how come, Pastor? What's the big deal anyway? Let's just say we go out to lunch, okay? I'll buy, all right? So it's, it's, don't worry about that. I'll take you to lunch. How many want to go? Okay, I'll take you next week, all right? I'll be on vacation. If you can find me, I'll take you. But let's say we go to lunch, and, and, and we're sitting down, and... Uh, and I said, we're just kind of laughing. I like to laugh and cut up. And I've got dry humor and all. Anyway, let's say we're just, we're just sitting around, you know, talking. And I said, man, I heard this funny joke. And in my joke, I, I, I curse several times. And then there's this, there's this good-looking woman in the room. And every time she walks by, and then I say something. You have an idea what I'm saying. Would you have the same respect for me? Why is that? It's because my lifestyle doesn't match, come on, my words. But it's no different than you. People, if they know you're a Christian, come on, it's one thing for you to, you know, to give them an invitation to church, but then they're going to watch how you live. It, 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 you know, you may push yourself and pray over your meal, that's great, but then your witnessing is just beginning to your friends. People watch us. They listen to what we have to say. When I was in the Navy many moons ago, I was in Okinawa, Japan, and, and uh, we would go early to, we were on sea duty, so we'd go early to breakfast in the chow hall, the galley, and uh, I remember I'd get hungry around, you know, midday or, or mid-morning, and uh, we didn't have Walmarts and stuff like that, so, so there's an apple, there's fresh fruit, so I get an apple, orange, put it in my pocket, you know, I'm going out the door. Only problem is when I'm going out the door, there's this sign that says, don't take food from the galley. But, of course, I'm going to be hungry, come on, and I pay my taxes, and I work here, and I just couldn't eat enough. So, I mean, you know, we rationalize things. As soon as I get out the door, there's this guy that I've been witnessing to. His name is Pat. And he says, as he walks by me, he said, I didn't know it was okay for Christians to steal. And, of course, I'm, I justified myself. I'm sure I said, well, you know, I'm going to be hungry. and oh, 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 oh. Your Christian testimony is affected by what you say and do. Now, listen. They're watching you. Your Christian reputation is what people think about you, and it matters. 
Proverbs 22.1, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver or gold. What does that mean? The most important intangible thing you have in your life is your Christian reputation and Christian testimony. Guard it, my friends. You see, we represent Jesus, and the life we live and the words we speak will either bring people to Christ or push them away. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. I want my words to point to Jesus. Listen to Daniel. Daniel said, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky on a cloudless day, and those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. You see, we turn people to righteousness by the words we say and by the life we live. I don't know about you, but I want my life, come on, to draw people to Christ and not push them away. Give him a good hand today. It matters the way I talk. Which, if you're with some Christians too, you know, this is kind of interesting too, how far we go. I, I have never preached to you a Christian legalism. Because guess what? If, you, if your Christianity is all about the rules, you know, if you say, well, it's modest to wear your dress down, you know, whatever, an inch above or an inch above the knee. Well, you, it, it, it's not, you don't deal in modesty with a ruler. Modesty comes from the heart. See, I don't think you can just say, well, a Christian would never see a movie rated blank. I mean, it, it, this, this doesn't come from the heart. And we want to do things that please the Lord, not because we have to, come on, not because we're trying to earn our way to heaven, but because we love Jesus. We love him who first loved us. So I want to live right because I want to make Jesus happy. And listen, but when we're uh, with Christians as a group, we often don't know what to do. Come on, because our flesh gets involved and, and we often don't know where the borders are. But let me suggest to you that if you're with Christian people and they're crossing the line, have the guts to say so. Be the first one to walk out of the movie, not the last one. There needs to be some pushback in the Christian community, come on, to help provide leadership. Well, I'm, I'm out of time here. Luke chapter 6, let me close with this. And this is kind of profound because a lot of things I've talked about, it doesn't feel like we're able to do it. We don't even know if we want to do it. But here's what i found. If I want to change my voice, I've got to let Jesus change my heart. Because the source of my voice is not my head. It's my heart. Look at Luke 6.45. Jesus said this. Jesus said, a good man brings, brings good things out of the good stored up in his But an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his Now, how do you store up evil in your heart? Well, how about watching TV? I don't know about you, but I know a line where I need to either hit the fast forward button or go to another channel. But if you just watch through that scene, you're violating your conscience, you're violating Scripture, and you're storing evil in your heart. There's some songs with lyrics I don't want coming out of my mouth. But if I sing about them long enough, I'm going to find my behavior, come on, my thinking will change. I store things up in my heart. And Jesus said, for out of the mouth, the mouth will speak what the heart is full of. And this is why I find in my life, I'm sometimes, I almost feel helpless to change. But when I surrender it to Jesus, he works with me, come on, and he helps give me strength to change what I can't change on my own. You see, it starts by allowing Christ to change our heart. Whether it's speaking words of hope and not despair, come on, it's rooted not in my head, but in my heart. 
have a friend of mine. We were in Mexico a number of years ago, and, and we were riding down the road, and it was a two-lane road, and we were going fast, fast, fast. I mean, there's no speed limits, I don't guess, but we were going fast. And we were in the, uh, next to an 18-wheeler in a curve, and he decided he wanted our lane. And the first thing out of my friend's mouth was, Jesus, help us. Now, I've been with people, and the first thing out of their mouth would be asking God to damn something. You understand what I'm talking about? Well, how, where does the boat, where do, these, where do these responses come from? Out of your heart. And as you surrender your life to Jesus, friend, I'm telling you, hope replaces despair. Biblical truth replaces human philosophy. You'll stand up and have justice for the right things. And you'll speak in such a way that glorifies God rather than embarrasses Him. It's all because Jesus has changed our heart. Can we just stand to our feet and just welcome the Holy Spirit a moment? And we're going to close. We've got a cool little gift for guys. And I promise you, it's a cool guy gift bag. And I want to pray for the dads. But uh, I just want you to just say right now, Holy Spirit, just, just draw near to me. This song is a prayer. You can sing it. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart. Sing it with us. Oh, God. <laughs>